0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. A church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which thy Son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when He shall come again in His glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through Him who liveth and reigneth with Thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, it's fantastic to see um, all of you. I hope you had, um, I hope you had a good, uh, a good Thanksgiving. You know, as as I say that, I realize, you know. Um, Holidays are a mixed bag, aren't they? Um, you know, for some they're they're exciting and and you love them. For some, it's some holidays are tough uh, and and bring up uh, can bring up uh, tough tough memories and times of, of of loss. So I, yeah, I realize it's um the the holidays are uh, a mixed bag. Um, I find in my life as well, and I, I feel pretty certain I'm not alone. One of the most challenging things are expectations. Um, when you when you want things to be a particular way. Um, and we set ourselves up for disappointment. I remember um, Jack as our oldest. I remember when we quote went on vacation with Jack as a baby. It was awful. Um, it was just you know of course you know he 's you know maybe he 's about one or not quite one so of course you know going away is just asking for trouble and you interrupt your routine and you know you 're thinking, gosh, this is going to be great, and it was just miserable um, and i couldn 't wait for i couldn 't wait for it to end um, uh, I hope your Thanksgiving wasn't like that. So I hope it was. Um, I hope I hope you had a I hope you had a a, a good one. Um, so the the title for the next few weeks: um, tidings of comfort and joy. And we're going to be looking at Advent and and Christmas. And what I want to talk about this morning, um, if you have a Bible with you, Luke twenty one is where we're going to be this morning. Or or. Some of you might have a phone. Um, you can find it there on your on your phone as well if you want to. Um, Luke 21 is where we're gonna spend our time this morning. And we heard from Luke 21 in our gospel lesson this morning. And I know for those of you who went to the nine, um, Doug preached on our epistle. And for those of you who go to the 11, Doug preached on the epistle. So um, uh, this is an opportunity. We're gonna spend some time in Luke 21 this morning. And as I begin, and this is, uh, you're welcome to throw out some responses, and if it's crickets, I'll keep moving. But it's, you know, again, liturgically, it's the liturgical season of of Advent. Uh, And Advent is, uh, even though it's obviously uh, November, December, it's the the first season of the church year. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of the church year. Um, And and Advent has a a number of of themes. I, I find Advent interesting and fascinating. And obviously, Um, Advent, is is the liturgical season, is is created by the church, and yet there is an importance. And all the liturgical seasons highlight um, facets of the way in which God reveals himself to us, uh, the way in which God moves, the way in which God brings about life and salvation and redemption. All of the various seasons highlight different aspects of Jesus' life uh, and ministry. And as uh, as we enter Advent, um, our namesake, what are some of the things that you think of? And again, feel free to call them out. And again, if it's just awkwardly silent, um, I'll keep moving. But yeah, uh, what do you what do you think about? when you think about Advent. Preparation. Preparation. Yeah, that's definitely one of the ones. Um, yeah, preparation. Expectation. expectation. Preparation. Newness. Newness. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a, a beginning. Newness. Uh, newness. Yeah, Luke chapter, yeah, Unity, Luke chapter, yeah, Luke chapter 2, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, who are some of the central figures uh, uh, of Advent that you think about? Mary. Mary, uh, absolutely. Joseph. Joseph. I mean, it's not Advent without you brood of vipers. Um, Certainly, you know, John the Baptist um, is, well, you know, one of the, one of the names uh, and one of the sort of chief characters uh, of, of the Advent, of the Advent season, uh, it's funny. I was listening. Um, uh, there's a there's a woman, uh, Fleming Rutledge, who's been here as a um, uh, as a preacher on on a number of occasions here during our Lenten preaching, and is a is a very sort of well known, renowned author, uh, Episcopal priest, um, uh, preacher. And uh, she was talking about <laughs> she was talking about. Uh, apparently, there's. Uh, Advent calendars have become so popular that there're numerous different um advent calendars out there. There's apparently an advent calendar that's uh, dedicated to different types of scotch. Um, there is an advent calendar dedicated to different types of cannabis. Um she said there's uh she said even there's even a Victoria's Secret advent. Um so so this is uh, so she says. Um and so but uh it's funny she she proposed she wanted to have an Advent calendar where you, where you open up instead of a piece of chocolate, uh, it's um, it's you brood of vipers. Um, so that's uh, she sort of proposed that as, as an Advent as an Advent calendar. Yeah, I think about John the Baptist. You know who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come, but uh, repentance uh, and judgment and 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 the second coming and end of uh, and end of life. But yet. Uh, combined with that in many ways that's that's life isn't it because all of those things which are fearful and daunting um, are also combined with with hope and with uh, expectation and with new life and uh, and new beginnings Uh, i came across a wonderful quote uh, by will willimon who is a bishop within the methodist church and and he said this because one of the things that we we're going to talk about this morning uh, is eschatology um, eschatology uh, about how God will uh, God will bring history to a completion. God will bring history to a completion. That, that God, um, is actually, um, God is actually uh, God is He's in history and, he, and he's also um, he's, he's sort of he's the author of, he's in the midst of but he's also the one who will bring it to completion. Of course Jesus refers to himself I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first um, and the last. I, I encompass all of it but willimon writes this and i thought this was interesting our our lives are eschatologically stretched between the sneak preview of the new world being born among us in the church and the old world where the principalities and powers are reluctant to give way in the meantime which is the only time the church has ever known we live as those who know something about the fate of the world that the world does not yet know, and that makes us different. I thought that's particularly interesting. I mean, he obviously refers to we, we, we live in the in-between time, which is uh, the only time that any of us live in, but, but that we have, within our Christian faith, we, we, have, this, we have this knowledge. Uh, we, we have this view of the world uh, of how things will come to completion. Uh, we, you know, the, the the final chapter. Who's who's victorious um, at at the end of it? We 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 have that, and we have that particular um, perspective uh, about uh, something of, of permanence in a world which often feels very impermanent. Um, uh, at least uh, our, our lives often feel um, very impermanent. And and I want to talk about a few things today, and I want to say a word about permanence. A word about judgment and a word about hope. A word about permanence, a word um, about judgment, uh, and a word um, about hope. Uh, And Luke 21 begins, uh, and I'll I'll read some to you, but also um, we'll give an overview. And we reflected on this uh, some in our time together in the refectory service today. But at the end of 20, Jesus gives a word of warning. He says, beware the scribes. Uh, but where the scribes, uh, the the legalists, uh, the religious leaders, he said they love to pray long prayers. Um, they love to pray long, eloquent prayers. Uh, they love to be seen and recognized uh, and uh, and and known. They're especially religious. But he said they devour widows' houses. Uh, he said, "What? W- watch out for them. Um, they're." They're a facade. Um, They're like the whitewashed tombs, which he refers to elsewhere. Uh, And he says this word of beware the scribes. And then at the beginning uh, of 21, Jesus is in the temple. And we hear that Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Uh, and and that's significant for a number of reasons, but uh, one of the things that we see is, one of the things we see happening here is, uh, uh, yes, it's uh, Jesus's uh, judgment uh, on the temple. Jesus's judgment on empty religion. Uh, Jesus's judgment uh, on that. Uh, but But also we see, we we note his noticing what the poor widow does, and what she does is actually something of permanence. Uh, you know, when, when he says, "You know, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart um, will be also." He notices her doing something uh, of permanence. Uh, again, it's in some ways it's it's very impermanent as she puts the coins in, but it's something very permanent in the way that she's laying up treasure. Um, In heaven, and there's a there's a sharp contrast here, which Jesus gives about the offering um, of the widow, which uh, in in the world's terms and in the world's eyes is is incredibly insignificant, Uh, and but contrasted to that is the tremendous seeming significance of the temple uh, and of that building and all of its majesty. And Jesus says, you know what? Uh, The time is coming when there will not be one stone left upon another. Uh, That which you look at is, is so permanent um, is, is actually not very permanent. Uh, of course, we, we know historically um, the time came and in and in 21, Jesus um, foretells the destruction of the temple. And we hear this also in Matthew's gospel. We hear it also uh, in Mark's gospel. And, I, and I'll say a little word about the temple. I've not had the opportunity um, to go there uh, in, in person. Um, you know, we we, we had we had big plans, um, and then, like the rest of the world, um, those big plans were, were interrupted. But I'll say a little bit of word about the temple in Jesus' day, and they marvel at the temple. And again, uh, a place which is seemingly permanent. And, um, uh, uh, you know, as, as, as we go, as we reflect on this, I'll confess, I really like our building. Uh, <laughs> I really like our building a lot. I think it's fantastic. Um, and, and, and yet, you know, there's always that sort of healthy realization for us um, as as Christians, about yeah, what's 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 permanent and what's not, uh, what's not permanent. But the the temple of Jesus's day, um, Herod was obsessed um, with grandeur and and sort of uh, building his legacy uh, and and leaving uh, and leaving his mark and and being known and recognized. And they had been working on the temple for fifty years. Um, They've been working on the temple. If any of y'all have done renovations, you know um, this can happen. So, but he have been working on the temple um, for 50 years. The retaining wall, and we're, we're just at the retaining wall at this point, was 15 stories. Uh, 15 stories, the retaining wall. They've actually, um, there they're still stones which are there um, today. And, and some of the stones there are, uh, if I remember, they are uh, 40 feet long. Uh, 11 feet tall and 14 feet deep um, so imagine it's like a mountain uh, imagine the size of that stone these magnificent stones which were um, placed together amazingly um, to, to make this and again we're, we're at this point we're just at the retaining wall there was an esplanade which is about um, that it was about uh, a mile um, in circumference, and it's funny. In the commentary I read, it, it mentioned that uh, it, could, it could hold 12 football fields, um, so enough for lots of overtimes. Um, so it could hold, you know, lots of lots of football fields in the midst of it. There were three rows of of columns, and again, we're we're still we're just leading up to the temple. There were three rows of columns with Corinthian capitals, uh, and their width was such that it would take three men with their arms linked um, to to match the circumference of the columns. I mean, just massive, magnificent um, architecture. Uh, again, three rows of these leading to the temple. The temple itself clad in, uh, in, in precious metals uh, and jewels so that the light caught uh, and refracted off of the temple. So this is, uh, this is something seemingly of phenomenal permanence. And it was also, of course, just tremendously significant. Uh, the, the people's um, identity was in that place as well. Uh, their, their identity and their, their sort of value um, of themselves was was in all of this. And, and Jesus um, says, um, actually, um, that, that not one stone is going to be left um, on another. And he uh, reads to you now from 21.5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, "'Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place?' And he said, "'See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once.' Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. I remember one time reading um, a commentary on that, and he said, this doesn't apply to preachers who have a (laughs) scheduled date. Um, He said, no, do your homework. Um, This is is when they're being dragged before um, the authorities. This doesn't apply to you, is what he said. Um, You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, um, you will gain um, your lives. So this is um, I, I, it's kind of one of those, as, as we see this, like, so do I have your attention? Um, Jesus is Jesus is talking about all of this, and, and yet what Willimon talks about how we... We live in the midst of our moment in this in-between time, and yet we have a knowledge and a security that's greater than the moment. We have a knowledge and a security that's greater than the moment. And that's something, quite frankly, that's entirely applicable to you and to me um, in our daily lives. Uh, we, we have encountered, we will encounter any number of things, uh, challenges and persecutions and, and, and trials uh, and situations that are, that are infinitely greater than our resources or our experience, uh, and to know that we have something um, greater and more permanent and more substantive um, that to carry us through that, because ultimately, of course, what we have, what does Jesus say um, about his body before the crucifixion? Destroy this temple, and in three days, uh, I will raise it up. We, we, we have something greater um, than a building. We have something infinitely um, more permanent uh, and so uh, these words are are, are tremendously um, shocking uh, as Jesus speaks them to the disciples but but I will say um, that uh, it's my contention that the reason God shocks us is out of love and out of grace he shocks us out of love and out of grace so that we're not basing our, our, our lives upon lies and false promises so we have something more significant and substantial Upon which to ground our lives, we—it's um, none of us ask ask none of us ask to be rattled, but it's a good thing. Um, we we need to be um, rattled from time to time. We need to recalibrate that we might know um, that there is one uh, in whom we can trust. There's one that's greater than the things that we so often um, are led um, to put our trust in. And one of the things that we see as well, where Jesus talks to his followers uh, about yes, um, persecution. One of the things he says, though, wonderfully, um, is he assures them that ultimately, in the end, not a hair of your head will perish. Uh, and that, that seems a little contradictory. He says, well, and some of you will be put to death uh, and some of you um, will be persecuted and, and, and betrayed and, and handed over. But what he's saying is ultimately, uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, you're secure. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, you're secure, and you can have um, a security in the midst of this. I want to uh, read to you a, a quote uh, from James Edwards' commentary on Luke's gospel, and he's talking about this of, of followers of, of Jesus, and, and obviously, in this particular moment, Jesus' disciples. And all the persecutions that befall them, uh, believers will not only give a witness, um, they will be a witness God will not abandon believers in the hour of crisis, but will enable and empower um, their witness. Um, and for you and for me as well, God does not abandon us uh, in our time of, of crisis. Uh, and if, <laughs> if we're honest, sometimes it feels that way. Um, sometimes um, it, it feels that way. But one of the things that we see in the life of the ministry of Jesus is that it's, it's in those times that he steers toward us rather than away from us. Uh, and again, that's not always emotionally the experience that we have Um, but we see that jesus comes towards but he but he says this make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself the greek phrase behind make up your mind is place in your hearts a hebraism which luke has used twice before it means to be utterly determined to resolve at the center of one's being disciples need not be anxious about what they will say or how they will defend themselves Because in the storms of persecution, they will have an advocate far superior to their own devices and defenses. Uh, And a word which comes to you and to me. Uh, We we have an advocate. That's one of the things you remember in John's gospel. Jesus promises not to leave us as orphans, and he promises to send his spirit. And the word is advocate. Um, I I will send um, the advocate, um, that I will be the one who advocates for you. I will be your strength. I will be um, your sufficiency. Uh, and he goes on and he says, faithfulness does not consist in forecasting the future and determining the preemptive responses. Um, I love to do preemptive responses in my mind. Um, am I the only one? Um, I, you, maybe you have some people in mind right now that you're thinking about you'd love to give a preemptive response to. Let me just say also, it never works. Uh, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't worked. At least it hasn't worked for me yet. Um, Uh, Once again, uh, I rock the conversations in my mind. It's the real ones um, that I don't do as well. But if faithfulness does not consist in forecasting the future and determining the preemptive responses, rather disciples are commanded to trust that God will give them grace to complete their service in his name and that he will speak through them um, in uh, their deepest need. The best preparation consists not in being prepared, and the only worry is not to worry um, at all the best preparation consists in not being prepared and the only worry is not to worry at all. Well, I would say, yeah, there's some things in life to, to prepare for, but, but what he's saying here is, yeah, is the sufficiency, um, of, of Jesus, um, his greater permanence, uh, than so many of the things that we place, um, permanence in. But, so that's a word about, um, a word about permanence, uh, and now a word, um, about judgment, um, uh, and our and our, let me ask you this: Do you find our current cultural moment judgmental? Am I, let me take a leap, um, and uh, it just and and everything. Uh, it, it it just seems so uh, incredibly um, exhausting right now. I mean, uh, you know, I, I I could throw out any 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 particular uh, any particular topic, uh, and and it's such a it feels like such a heightened. Um, time it's such a judgmental time and, and before COVID um, I mean COVID has only um, added fuel to that fire but but it was uh, but it was present in many ways socially politically culturally um, long before again that just fanned the flames um, was was all and it is a gosh it's a uh, it's it's a judgmental time but let me ask you this um, how do you feel about a God who judges how do you feel about a God um, who, who judges? And I think a lot of us tend to—I um, certainly have—sort of uh, try to be um, reasonably evasive um, uh, uh, about about that one. Well, but um, you know, let's let's talk about let's talk about this. Um, but what I want to say is—is is this? And I'm sort of looking at the time, and I have some quotes here that that I would like to share. But um, I remember years ago uh, reading a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. Um, some of the stuff that uh, Miroslav Volf wrote in um, exclusion and embrace and, and some and some other things as well but one of the things that he points out so wonderfully and so rightly is that we need a God who judges uh, we need a God who judges and one of the points that he makes is that if God doesn't judge who's left to judge and that's what we're experiencing in our cultural moment uh, if 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 God is not the judge, that leaves you and me to be the judge, and that's a terrifying prospect. Um, I hope we can all agree um, to have any of us sit in judgment to be the one. That's a, that's a that's a frightening. He said, you know, we we need a God who judges because otherwise, um, you and I don't do well on the mercy seat. We we need someone. We need someone um, beyond us um, to to be able to judge. But 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 also, if if God is a God who is just. If God is a God who is loving, if God is a God um, who is um, gracious, if God is a God who fulfills God's promises, uh, then he necessarily um, has, to, has to judge. Uh, he, he has um, to put things um, to right. And, and in reality, the cross is a judgment. Uh, the, the, the cross is a judgment. It, it's the means of salvation. Uh, it's the means of our security um, and our hope. Um, it's the means of our permanence, but it's also, of course, uh, the cross is very much a, a a judgment on the sinful and broken world. Uh, but of course, the amazing thing which God does in the cross is is that God uh, absorbs um, all the violence and judgment of the world in Himself. Uh, that that all of that um, that all of that uh, is absorbed. And, and Wolf, I'm going to uh, read a few things. They're 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 long, so I'm going to read them. Um, in in, in part here and and quickly, Um, so so forgive me. Um, And he he says this, and this is, you know, you're welcome to agree or disagree with this, but I, I think it's good food for thought. He says, God will judge not because God gives people what they deserve, but because some people refuse to receive what no one deserves. If evildoers experience God's terror... It will not be because they have done evil, but because they have resisted to the end the powerful lure of the open arms of the crucified Messiah. And part of what he's getting to is, of course, none of us um, deserve uh, the the mercy and the grace which are extended to you and to me. If we accept the stubborn irredeemability of some people who do we not end up with an irreconcilable contradiction at the heart of Christian faith, Here the crucified Messiah, with arms outstretched, embracing the vilest sinner, there the rider on the white horse, and he's referring to uh, Revelation, with a sharp sword coming from his mouth to strike down the hopelessly wicked, the patient love of God over against the fury of God's wrath. Why this polarity? Not because the God of the cross is different from the God of the second coming. After all, the cross is not forgiveness, pure and simple, but God's setting aright the world of injustice and deception. The, polar- the polarity is there because some human beings refuse to be set aright. Those who take divine suffering, the cross, as a display of divine weakness that condones the violator, draw upon themselves divine anger, the sword, that makes an end to their violence. The violence of the rider on the white horse, I suggest, the symbolic portrayal of of the final exclusion of everything that refuses to be redeemed by God's suffering love. For the sake of the peace of God's good creation, we can and must affirm this divine anger and this divine violence, while at the same time holding on to the hope that in the end, even the flag bearer will desert the army that desires to make war um, against the Lamb. He talks about a God who um, necessarily comes... Um, to put things um, to right, uh, and God's judgment actually um, being our hope, uh, the, the cross being that judgment, but also being the means uh, of our redemption, the means um, of our um, deliverance. Um, and then I'd like to say a word, who uh, uh, said a word um, about judgment, um, but but a word about hope um, as well, because, of course, ultimately our hope is in Jesus, our hope is in the cross. But there's an interesting thing that, that as we go on here in 2120, Jesus uh, talks about um, Jerusalem um, being um, encircled, uh, but then he goes on, and it, so, and this is now 2125, and there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding at what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. It's all rather rattling, um, isn't it? Um, rather, rather daunting. But then listen to what he says. Uh, listen to what um, Jesus says. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, and hear this. Now, when these things begin to take place straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near does that am i the only that just sounds a little you know sun and moon and 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 stars and you know terror uh in in the seas (laughs) and the midst of all this and jesus says when you see those things straighten up uh, and 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 raise your heads does that sound surprising um does, does that does that sound uh does that sound shocking um uh, I, I I think so. Uh, I, I think I think very. But but interestingly, let me um, let me let me say this about this. Uh, we we hear uh, in the midst of, of all of this, the tremendous security um, that we have. And interesting, we talked about uh, again at, at at nine o'clock a little earlier. The word um, which is uh, translated "straighten up" um, uh, and and raise um, your heads. Um, the word which is used for straighten up is, is used one other time uh, in Luke's gospel. And it's in the 13th chapter when Jesus heals a woman who's bent in two. Uh, and you can imagine, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, you've seen folks who over time they're, you know, they're literally um, bent in two. And and Jesus speaks a word of, of, of healing um, to this woman, um, telling her, um, telling her to straighten up. Um, and, and she does uh, to straighten up. Um, and, and raise your head and one of the things when when God gives a commandment is it dependent upon you and me to carry it out no that would be that'd be terrible that, can you imagine all right guys it's up to you um, God has given you this command now make it happen Um that's that 's more terrible than the sun and the moon and the seas and the stars and and, and all of that, but here 's the thing that happens uh, in the scripture if if, if God commands something he 's the one that actually accomplishes it through us. If God commands something he um, he accomplishes it um, in us uh, it, is, it is by his power um, that it is brought about, uh, and the word which is spoken to that woman um, to straighten up and raise your head. Uh, is spoken to Jesus' followers in the midst of all of this, uh, and again, it's it's a word of command that God accomplishes. Uh, and when you think about uh, straightening up and raise your head, what kind of posture is that? Uh, and I would I would say it's it's not one of it's not one of pride, uh, it's not one of arrogance. It's one of praise. Uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a stature of prayer. Uh, it's a statue. It's a stature of receiving. Straighten up. Um, and raise your head, Jesus says, in the midst of all of this. <laughs> Why? Because our hope is in our Redeemer. Um, because he is the one who will enable this um, to happen um, for you and for me. Um, he will, uh, our, our hope and our security um, is in uh, what he has done. And so we can actually, when when we hear about God um, being a judge, we can greet that with, with joy. We can greet that with security because as we are judged, what are we clothed in? We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, not our own righteousness. Uh, we're, we're clothed um, in his accomplishments and his mercies. We're, we're able to be thankful that God is the judge, which means that you and I don't have to be the judge. Uh, and we know that we are, are judged in the merits uh, and the victory of Jesus Christ. And that enables us to be people who lift up our heads, um, to be people who who raise up, to receive i um, the grace of God, which is given um, to you and to me. And as we hear that, let me, let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, um, that you give us your permanence. Uh, in the midst of so many things which we chase, uh, looking for them to be permanent, we, we thank you that you give us a, a greater permanence uh, in the way that you seek us uh, as a shepherd. We thank you, most gracious God, that, uh, that you do indeed come to set things to right. Um, that you will bring um, history to its uh, completion. And we give you thanks, most gracious God, that you visit upon us um, your grace, which is the substance of our hope. You invite us, you command us um, by the work which you have done for us to raise our heads, um, to straighten um, our backs, to look at you. And I pray that for each person gathered here, most gracious God, that you would give us a sense of love, a sense of grace, a sense of uh, security, a sense of hope uh, in the midst of this life, and that you will continually raise us up and draw us to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.